Hello everyone, you're listening to Cultivated Space, a podcast for Indigenous voices. And I am your host for Cultivated Space. Today, we have a soon-to-be graduate of the University of Denver. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, Rashan, for having me. Um, hello, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joshua Ironshell. I am a soon-to-be graduate with two degrees in criminology and psychology. Um, I am Shichangu Lakota from the Rosebud Sioux Tribe in South Central South Dakota. And I am the co-chair president of the Native Student Alliance. So, Josh, I'm going to hit you with the first question. Lay it on me. Can you talk about your path to leadership from transitioning over to college? So, growing up uh, throughout middle school and high school, uh, a lot of my life kind of revolved around like community outreach, community support, um, community service. I was part of a peer mentoring program. I was part of a youth council back home. Uh, I was also the Great Plains uh, Regional Representative for Unity, which is the acronym for United National Indian Tribal Youth um, Organization. And yeah, so I guess really coming into college, uh, I did my best to kind of step back from taking on those uh, types of positions just because I thought, like, again, um, a lot of my life revolved around it. Uh, I just kind of wanted to think for myself, decide what I wanted to do without, you know, others around me kind of making decisions or influencing mine and... So like the first two years, I was a regular member for or within NSA. I didn't have no specific role other than just attending and supporting my peers who were running it at the time. And junior year is when I kind of decided to take a step in the right direction. Um, I decided to become the third year, at the time, the third year uh cohort rep uh, and I pretty much just kept in contact with uh, those um, the same year as me just making sure things were you know fine going well for them uh, academically and personally and you know if issues came up uh, you know I would try to do my best to best support them or uh, you know get them in contact with the resources to help support them best. And then it's kind of interesting because I remember at the end of junior year, I didn't decide to run for co-chair until like a week before elections. That's right. And I guess it was just that uh, push I needed to kind of to be able to serve my community in the 
people that like I relate to and that I relate with the most like being able to uh, like my best capability you know serve their interests and you know being able to provide the sense of support and community on campus which the university fails to provide it was kind of crazy because I didn't intend running for co-chair up until yeah like the week before elections uh, I just remember that there was a lot of talk about like who was going to run and I think la- uh, last year there was a lot of like difficulties within our e-board hmm. um, not to say it was bad but it was just like not working to its best capabilities and I was just thinking that how could I make the biggest mark my senior year like what could I do to I guess as like being the Joaquin cohort like how are we going to make our presence like known for like years like to come after we leave and you know I think it was kind of a perfect opportunity to run for co-chair and I was you know fortunately you know able to get it thanks to my peers who were able to, you know, believe me and have that trust in me. And yeah, I mean, being co-chair, you know, all year has not been easy. There's been a lot of like obstacles, but me and my group are pretty awesome at what we do. So we're able to solve them and, you know, get back to business. And yeah, all of that. I guess now is just kind of getting ready to hand the torch off as the co-chair, uh, making sure it's in good hands whenever we leave. Yep, yep. So um, you mentioned um, talking about this cohort stuff. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is our cohort? I guess a cohort is just kind of like the group of students that come in so like every given year so whenever we came in we were the Joaquin cohort it was given as like a symbol for us because we were meant to make our we were meant to like shake the ground and make our presence known on campus knowing that like uh you know natives are here and we're not going anywhere uh it's a little different because it's not just like you're a freshman, you're a sophomore, you're, you know, junior, senior. It's kind of like this little group that this like little sense of community within like your group uh, kind of brings you closer together as a family, knowing that like you guys have the same intentions, the same like ideals and morals and values that, you know, led us to have these characteristics of the Wakians, which are meant as a thunder beings. Yeah. And, um, like talking about your experience from transitioning from high school to college, um, all these like councils and these big parts of like the community leadership you were a part of, um, how has that influenced your role today as a co-chair and as a member of the indigenous community? here at the university? I think it's definitely different because uh, 
you know, before, like in high, middle school, high school and stuff, uh, I was surrounded by, you know, native people. Like that was the largest body that was like, I was surrounded by. And so it was like, I wasn't kind of up against this brick wall, like at the University of Denver, surrounded by, you know, structures and a system that kind of limits our progress as a group. I think a lot of my, the leadership qualities I have is, goes like behind the scenes. Like a lot of people don't see the work. Not that just that I do, but what my like uh, board member, e-board members do. Uh, you know, I think it's just really having the, having the willingness to like keep an open mind, listening, yeah. gaining different perspectives and trying to work the college system in a way that would benefit our group the most at least in trying to provide more resources and opportunities for native and indigenous uh, folk yeah and um, being an indigenous individual yourself We've both been through the pit, right? We've we've been in classes yes, where sir. we've been the only brown person, mm-hmm. and we've been tokenized in that way, right? Mm-hmm. So with that, like, can you describe your relationship with the university as an individual, um, coming from your background and your people, while also being in these roles of leadership, right? Um, as a leader and as a of your community and at this institution. Could you describe your relationship with this institution? Um, I really don't know how to describe my relationship with the university. Uh, I just, you know, it's kind of weird because whenever sophomore year before, when I was going through my little phase of like deciding to transfer and stuff, uh, I was thinking, I was like, just thinking like, personally, like, would a degree be better from the University of Denver or from in-state? And it's like no discredit to in-state schools, but this is just like my personal thought processing. And I was just kind of thinking of all the benefits that the going to a university like the University of Denver, which doesn't have a lot of resources for native people, but being able to come from a system has been built off of the oppression and the massacres of indigenous people. It just kind of gives me like a full perspective coming from where I'm from. Like growing up on the res, it was kind of like Like, all the issues against Native people were, like, outside the reservation. So, like, I didn't have to be concerned about, like, being the only person thinking this way. When there was, like, a whole tribe um, with the same kind of thoughts as I have. And then coming to, like, the institution like DU, like you said, we're the only, like, brown people in the classrooms and being tokenized in a way that try that they try to express inclusive excellence and diversity. And it just, yeah. that's just, that's a whole other thing we could talk about. But 
I just, I think it was just the values I grew up with has given me like a better grounding and a better understanding of how I could better navigate the campus. Using it in a way to benefit me the most so I can help, you know, bring change back home in a way, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And um, like being a member of NSA myself, like we have to endure all the good times, right? And like since the community that we built built within this polarized institution, um, we built this community in which like me and Taylor were talking about earlier that the, 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 the institution likes to thrive off, right? This thought of diversity, inclusion, equity, right? Mm-hmm. And how they tell our families that we're going to be okay. But me, myself, my experience hasn't been like that. Mm-hmm. So how do you, like, I, I imagine you're, you have similar experiences. How do you navigate the structure in your own way? How do you keep your own holistic being um, protected? I just, I think a lot of it is just like self-thought. Just kind of, I think when you're in situations of adversity and where you need to like persevere over obstacles, I think a lot of it is just kind of, like, don't get me wrong, I grew up with a lot of self-doubt in myself and I had a lot, I still have a lot of insecurities. And, but, you know, I think that's what was getting me down, you know, freshman, sophomore year, while I was kind of, I was more miserable than, you know, how I was yeah. last year and this year. I think after sophomore year, it was just really like, oh, you know, I'm like halfway there, you know, I made it through two years of chaos. You know, I could go through two more. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, a lot of it, you know, my mom has been there for me. A lot of late night calls, you know, hours long just to knock some sense to me. I remember, like, uh, waking up just, like, in the gutters, you know, don't want to do anything. Don't want to, like, be here anymore. And my mom has given me the thought of just, like, you know, put a pin on it. See how you feel tomorrow. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like that tomorrow, then... Give it a week. And if you still don't, you know, give it a month. And then at that point, I was just like, all right, I'm going to take it week by week. And I think that has, like, given me more time to, like, during the day, throughout the week, to give time for myself just to decompress from, you know, all the pressures and stress. Yeah. Especially from, you know, classes, the classwork on top of that. But, you know, even just hanging out with you guys in NSA, you know, that has helped my well-being throughout the whole process. It was pretty much the only reason why I stayed. Like, I couldn't just leave my guys hanging. If they were suffering, I'm going to suffer with them. You know, we'll make it through together. We'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it just kind of goes along with that sense of community. Like, I grew up with a huge support system. Like, I was was raised by a house full of women. And, you know, there was no guys around. I had, like, no male figures to really look up to. But, you know, the 
my mom and my aunties and my grandmas, you know, showed me how to get business done. Mm-hmm. Showed like yeah, they just you know destroyed the norm of patriarchy. And like they don't need no man. Like they can yeah, they can you know supply themselves and they can help their kids. I still don't know how my mom does it. But just having that kind of strength and courage and motivation, like, you know, there was times where I've seen them in moments or like times where they're down, they didn't know what they were going to do next. Like, what was the next step in order to support their family? And I guess that kind of gives me perspective um, because I'm like, they had to like, this was like supporting their family. This is like... Being at college is like, I'm only supporting myself. And it's just, it's insane because whenever I kind of, when I think about it, I'm like, damn, I wonder, like when I'm like thinking like how hard times are and I'm like, dang, like, I wonder what my mom was thinking my age and my mom, like I'm 21 now, my mom was a 21 year old with a five year old me. Yeah. Like, she didn't go she didn't like go to college she had to like find a job she had to like uh, support herself getting a car you know getting groceries and we're like in a whole household so there's like 10 of us in one house so that's like and then some yeah I'm forever in awe of women for what they can handle for what they can go through and still see the good in the world still see the good in people seeing like the best in a situation or in a circumstance and I guess some of it rubbed off on me I wouldn't say all of it though (laughs) a lot did definitely a lot did more than you think yeah so when you were talking I was thinking about um, like my own family and I was raised by my grandma right and Mm -hmm. um, mostly by my grandma and the, the way that, like, she has bestowed her teachings and stuff upon me is, like, how I try to live my life. And that, in that sense, gives my own sense of grounding, right? But when I think about, like, coming to this university, right, um, during our time here, we have witnessed two Indigenous women come, mm-hmm. come and become part of these circles. And... Dr. Steve Lee, Dr. Chris Nelson, Dr. Kelly Fayard, Dr. Angela Parker, right? And Dr. Cisneros. Mm-hmm. They're, they're all these, like, fierce indigenous ladies. Yep. And um, they all come from their own certain tribal communities across Turtle Island. Mm-hmm. And seeing these, these women in action, right, taking these steps to protect the student body and their children, their nephews, right, mm-hmm. and, and nieces and all that stuff, um, it's really inspiring for me. And it's really awesome to, to, to come from these communities, um, especially like these indigenous women, these elders and mm-hmm. all these stuff that, that like have cultivated us to be who we are today. And it's been in the institution. It's really cool to see that happen. Um, the sense of community that's happening. Mm-hmm. But with your experience here, and being an indigenous scholar of yourself, um, how has your identity and the way you think of the world influenced your academics and your work? 
just like I just think like studying criminology has shown me like all of the in like the inequity and the inequality for people of color like the overrepresentation in like the criminal justice system yeah and even just like learning about the statistics um you know there's kind of that aspect like growing up on the reservation I like seen a lot of the stuff firsthand that they talked about mm-hmm. but it's just like interesting because being in like a group full of like white like students they like a lot of their experiences are like in a suburban neighborhood with yeah. like a picket fence and you know a freaking four story 10 bedroom five bathroom house and I'm in like a duplex house with two bedrooms with like five people mm-hmm. you know after kind of deciding to major in criminology it has given me cause I've always been fascinated with like uh, behavioral science and like mental health yeah finding criminology has given me like a, like a pathway to motivated me more to I guess further my academic studies into looking into mental health which I think is a big issue across the board for a lot of like groups like regardless of race or socioeconomic status everyone experiences mental health and it's really because I always had this like mindset that like if you're able to like solve some aspect of mental health it would lead to like a cascade of like events like like I feel like victimization rates and like violence and stuff would like go like reduce if you're able to provide you know the proper resources and opportunities for people to like better understand their conditions and like how they could best go about treating it so they can live a comfortable like stress-free life you know, my identity being indigenous and like kind of wanting to further my studies in behavioral, you know, science, forensic psychology and all that. Uh, it ties into like the idea or the topic of missing and murdered indigenous people, mm-hmm. which has like, like, it, I don't know why it still surprises me, like how just the lack of resources and everything that goes into that whole issue and I just wish that it was taken as serious as you know Mm non-native non-indigenous people exactly so I just like like I guess just my interest in like like in this fields of study that I major in at college and just like my identity kind of intersects with the idea of going into hopefully being a private investigator or forensic psychologist to you know go and do my own kind of casework into solving these uh, crimes these issues in an attempt to bring healing within my own community and others people's as well being an indigenous person like we we've had conversations in the past about how our assignments they're they're they challenge us right but 
we have a whole different perspective of the world. And in that way, it's really easy to write about mm-hmm. things um, that, that we learn in class because it's, it's affecting our communities, right? Mm-hmm. And to have that whole different like worldview perspective um, is something that the institution truly benefits from. And the fact that we're out here researching about all these things and and learning um, how that affects us, it's really inspiring. But reconnecting back to your own work um, and your own research, mm. I understand that you're recently published <laughs> at the DU Clarion. Yeah. And for all our relatives, the DU Clarion is, is an outlet in which the university... Um, talks about news, sports, um, things that are going on around campus life. And Josh is recently published. So could you talk about a little bit about your research uh, around Native Americans in higher education? Um, yeah, so my article, it was like fostering a sense of belonging in higher education. Uh, I guess it kind of just talks a lot about the different challenges and barriers that Native uh, students, Native and Indigenous students and faculty, or at least in higher education in general experience, and the different ways in which they go about coping to those stresses. Um, so kind of like what I was talking about earlier about like the self-thought, uh, yeah, the internal dialogue and stuff. Uh, I talk about this idea of self-talk, which is kind of just these internal, this internal dialogue you have with yourself that like inspires and motivates you to, you know, persevere and uh, overcome situations of adversity. Um, I tie a lot of it to, you know, my experience here at the University of Denver and along with my peers in NSA uh, and I kind of end the article by kind of directly talking to the institution mm-hmm. and what they could do to improve their relationship with Native and Indigenous folk like having a more having a curriculum you know focused on ind- or like incorporating Indigenous perspectives and way of thinking um, even just providing programs and trainings that expose uh, non-native, non-indigenous students and faculty to, you know, sensitive topics yeah. or, you know, even common uh, interactions that common stereotypical interactions and thoughts uh, just to bring more awareness and just to give them a better understanding of how we are, how we live our lives. And I kind of talk about how we have to foster our own sense of community on campus. Like we do all the work to make the native and indigenous students here on campus feel comfortable, um, a place where they can be vulnerable to others, where they can just be themselves with no, you know, second thought of others judging them. Uh, And kind of how we don't even have uh, a prayer space for you know I was talking about that vulnerability being able to have have that dialogue and that connection with uh, creator mm-hmm. uh, 
even just having like a native focused in a student center. I just don't understand it because the school we like attend a school that has seventy five thousand dollar tuition, like having that much money and not being able to pay and build a native student center like they can remodel the whole in, like campus and they will still not buy us a fucking they'll be I don't know they still wouldn't they'd still have the audacity to not follow through with supporting and fostering a sense of belonging on campus and I just think that you know going this long from their since they've been established and everything like they can't see through the faults and the lies in their history as an institution and how they could just disregard the community in which they built upon it and I it's awful yeah it's I'm just so like appalled by it I just don't understand like what kind of, like, what goes through your mind and says that, oh, they're fine. There's only 20 of them, but there's 5,000 white students. Exactly. Like, how, how does that make sense? And especially when you have, like, things that, again, disregard the well-being of the Native community, like the moniker. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, even just the the behavior that the everyday white student expresses towards people of color and like the biased perspectives they have towards native people. I remember just going to class and white kids are like, oh, are you native? And I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, do you guys still like hunt buffalo and ride horses? Of course. And it's like, yeah, of course we still do, but it's not as, like, common as you think. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're still living in teepees or yeah. something. But just kind of those little microaggressions type deal just kind of accumulates stress over time. And I think that's, like, another thing that a lot of students don't really talk Well, they talk about microaggressions, but just I don't think they see the complete toll it takes on you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, And I don't know how, again, the institution doesn't see that in their students. And I don't know, they can build like a commons, they can buy a mountain campus using all this money to spend to extend and like remodel the institution. Like, why can't you extend it to native students by building a simple native student center. Exactly. And, um, like, it's really, we keep on saying they don't understand, but I think through our experience here, we can clearly say that they do understand. They just don't care. And that's been our experience here, especially, well, I I talk for myself when I say that, but um, when we think about all that stuff it's it's very frustrating and um you know right now we're visibly frustrated because 
this whole experience being an indigenous scholar in higher education, it's a it's something that we have to reckon with internally. Mm-hmm. But I think it brings another load in when you see the same obstacles and barriers that the younger generation of scholars are facing now, especially in the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors that are a part of the Native Student Alliance. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Cultivated Space. And if you can hear my voice, you're awesome. Let's continue our talk with Josh in part two of his interview in the next episode. I'll see you there.